0: Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga and the creator of the Momentum Magic Method, showing you the way to becoming a confident teacher who seamlessly shares cues and easily creates sequences, whose classes feel like events, who understands anatomy and who shares their passion in a unique and authentic way. On the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. In addition to the podcast, follow me on Instagram and TikTok for daily videos on teaching topics. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into the episode. Hi there. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 254. Well, here we are uh, getting closer to September 1st, which I always sort of feel like when we get around Labor Day, it's kind of like the other start to the year. I mean, it's kind of a, a natural time where people kind of energetically reset for kind of Going towards uh, the end of the year in terms of goals, in terms of school, in terms of you know their jobs, and um, I know certainly if you're like me and you live in a, a spring, summer, fall, winter climate, you kind of start to get ready for for the winter. Uh, but I love this time of year because, especially right now, I'm recording this on the 18th of August. This episode will go live on the 21st of August, 2023. Um, you know, these are the last couple of weeks of summer. Um, my summer has been different. Um, I've shared on my stories just really briefly that my boyfriend, Ben was diagnosed June 1st with, um, esophageal cancer. And so this summer has really been about treatment, his treatment, uh, which is done next week, chemo and radiation radiation every day, 33 treatments. And, um, you know, then he'll have some time to heal and then we'll have time to, you know, reevaluate and see where we're at in terms of the efficacy of the treatment. Doctors are very optimistic and, you know, being with him as he's been going through this has been, um, just, just, I can't even really put a word to it. I, I will say, I, I really, I don't, I don't know if saying I admire him is the right word. I just have watched him be so strong. Uh, never once has complained. Never once has said why me. Has just basically listened to the doctors and said, "Tell me what I need to do." And he's just done it without, you know, complaining or feeling sorry for himself. And so I don't know, I wasn't actually going to share, share that, but I just spontaneously decided to, and like I said, I did share a couple of things on my stories, uh, a couple of the past couple of weeks. Um, but I don't really want to go into it in, in massive detail because it's not my story to tell. And, um, yet it's just part of what has been going on in my life. Um, certainly not directly, but in my life as his longtime girlfriend. Matter of fact, next week we'll be together 15 years and the next day will be his final day of radiation. So that's kind of special, uh, special in a different way. Um, so if you or anyone you know has, has been affected by cancer, um, I guess, you know, Ben is now part of that club and I am now part of that. Experience in our own way, I have um, really just gained a whole new level of respect for people who have been uh, impacted by this. You know, there's so many variations on cancer, but certainly in my experience of going to the hospital and being around the treatment team and being in the waiting room with other families. being in the ER, which was something we experienced this week, um, but being specifically around the chemo ward and the radiation department, um, you really not only tap into gratitude, but certainly gratitude for all the people who dedicate their lives to um, to caring for people who are affected by, by cancer in whatever way. So we are just here in this house, grateful for, uh, every day. And we are looking forward to, um, the final day of treatment next week, and then taking some time to heal. Then we'll have some time without treatment every day for the first time in six weeks. And, um, we'll go from there. We'll get reassessed. We'll see where he's at and God willing, everything will work, work out. So having said that, I also today um I was going to share it with you, but I, I really want to keep it. There are a couple of things that she said that I want to just keep, you know, personal and to to try to cut through and splice together um, uh, a testimonial for you. I, I just thought it'd be better if I just shared it uh from a high level. I think it's always kind of fun to hear. From other yoga teachers um, what they are experiencing as they work with me in my program more to just give you a sense of what's possible uh, and i think that um, a lot of times when i talk to a yoga teacher they sort of feel like the the state of affairs for them is like as good as it's going to be and there's so many magical experiences and just amazing shifts that teachers have when I work with them one-on-one and the program I have has really proven itself over the years to be really effective with teachers, not only from a strategic tactical skills-based sense, but also the mindset piece. I'm almost thinking in a way, it might be helpful for me to, to create a course just on the mindset components of being a yoga teacher, because there's a lot there. And You know, today I had a call, um, I call them momentum calls, which is a time for me to get together with one of the teachers who's enrolled in my program. And we talk about uh, whatever is going on with them. If they have questions about the videos they're watching, which are part of my program, but certainly not all of it. It is not a program where you're just watching videos. That is part of it. But on these calls, we have a chance to go over any questions they have, Things that are going on in their classes, questions they have about teaching, business questions they have about setting rates, or just it's a it's a chance to get together with a mentor. And right now, and really for for many many years, and especially since COVID, yoga teachers don't have that opportunity. So that is a big part of the support that you get when you work with me. And on the call I had today with her, she um, gave me an update on how this special event went that she taught. And I'll just briefly say that one of the things that was so amazing for me to hear was how after just one session of working with me in my program. So she was watching some of the videos and we had just time to do one of our momentum calls. She got on a plane, she went out to teach this special event she texted me when she was there let me know that she was setting up for the class it was kind of a big deal and today i got the full debrief on how it went and what was so what was so inspiring for me to hear her say is that one of the things she learned from just that one session with me was that she could trust herself and that allowed her to go into the class and feel empowered And be confident. And even though there were people there that were for PR purposes taking photographs, she was still in her body. She didn't go up into her head. She didn't get self conscious. She was noticing the cues that she was sharing. Her students were responding. You know, she would say, drop your head, relax your shoulders. She would see it happening. This is a profound experience for a teacher and one that I want for you because the nonverbal feedback that you get from your students when you share cues and you see their bodies respond in kind is so profound because it shows that the cues that you are sharing are hitting their nervous system, are hitting their musculoskeletal system in sync. And this is such an amazing experience as a teacher especially a yoga teacher, where we don't have like personal trainers, the chance for the students to be speaking to us. And this is yet another reason why you shouldn't be practicing with your class, you should be walking around and doing the walk and talk. This is how you give yourself the opportunity to see this kind of response from your students to feel that nonverbal connection that you are building. I mean, let's face it, most connections are, well, not most, but many connections are in the nonverbal plane. And so this is yet again, more support for doing the walk and talk, which I can teach you how to do, even if you've been practicing the entire sequence with your class. And even if you say to me, well, Karen, that's how I know what to say. I can teach you how to break up with your practice as the source of your cues and how to take back your practice for you. And instead to walk into the room as a teacher, a teacher who is able to confidently share cues and easily prepare a sequence that they confidently share. And so for this teacher, the shift for her, although it happened in lots of different ways, One of the biggest things that she learned in that one session was to trust what she knew. And the way that that really played itself out was that instead of doing all sorts of research and all sorts of planning with sequence books and internet research and YouTube, she trusted what she already knew was enough. She created a sequence based on that. So right out of the gate, she was going into this class, teaching from what she knew. I really need to highlight for you how powerful that is when you drop your perception that you need to go outside yourself for information and instead draw a line in the sand and create a sequence based on what you know right now, already you will be setting yourself up to feel more confident because you're teaching something that's based on things you already know. And beyond that, you know, as I was saying, just her seeing the responses of the students, the nonverbal responses, her leaning into her confidence, feeling like at the end of the class, when she was getting feedback, it was all positive. But in in some way at the same time, it didn't even really matter because she knew she couldn't control what they felt. It was more just how she felt. And she could allow people to feel however they felt about the class. And that's the sign of a teacher who can distinguish between what I can control and what I can't. Because the reality is you can't control what your students think. And to get yourself tied up in knots around, did my students like this class? Or to get yourself tied up in knots if somebody gives you some, what you might perceive as negative feedback, is wasted time and wasted energy on your part. But so many yoga teachers try to put time and effort or don't try to, they do put time and effort into trying to control things that they have no control over. So much better to do exactly what this teacher did. Take the time to plan for your class and go in there and teach from what you know, share clear action-based cues And that you can control. You can also control not practicing with your class, doing the walk and talk, seeing your students and being present. Those are all things you can control. You can't control if someone's going to get hurt. You can't control if somebody is going to like or dislike your class. So just toss all those things aside and really focus on the things you can control. So I wanted to share that with you as an example of a transformation. And there's so much more that she's going to achieve because the program is set up like that. The other thing I wanted to share with you is in the beginning of my program, I have teachers go through an exercise to come up with their mission and their purpose. And she was saying when she was teaching the class, because she had gone through that exercise, she felt so much more in alignment with why she was a teacher. And I so want to emphasize this for you. Honestly, this is not to pitch you my program. It's to share with you the content as a sneak peek and as a free gift, as a freebie, as an opportunity for you to do this sort of exercise so that you can also feel what it's like to have that strong connection when you are teaching that you are in the right place, doing the right thing, doing something that you love, And it's so much more than that sort of common statement, yoga changed my life and I want to change others' lives. And that's why I'm teaching yoga. There's nothing wrong with saying that. And absolutely, if that's what motivates you, great. However, there's so much deeper you can go in terms of what is your mission? What is your vision? And knowing how that can shape what you do, where you teach, how you teach. You know, Many times I speak with teachers who are teaching even a style of yoga that doesn't resonate with them, that doesn't line up with their mission, that doesn't align with how they want to teach. Can you imagine doing that for months? That is not what you would want to do. That's certainly not something that's going to make you feel in alignment with being a teacher. So this is what I mean about having a mission and a purpose and knowing what it is. And I go through an exercise at the very beginning of the program with teachers so they can start to define this. And she was saying to me how she was so glad she did that work already because when she went in to teach this class, it allowed her to confirm what she sort of already knew, which was she was in exactly the right place and exactly the right time. And being a yoga teacher, in addition to having a corporate job, in addition to being a mom was a part of her life that she wanted to develop more and more. So that feeling is irreplaceable because you know, you're in the right place and you don't doubt yourself. And when you don't doubt yourself, you really can start to make gains in anything as possible. So that was the first piece I wanted to share with you. The other thing I wanted to share from sort of the pop culture space is I wanted to speak for a moment about Taylor Swift. And this actually came up in my conversation with this yoga teacher today, because she was saying, and I'll talk about the Taylor Swift piece. Let me start with that. The reason I want to talk to you about Taylor Swift is because there are so many things from her eras tour that we can learn from as yoga teachers when it comes to teaching yoga and ways of being when we are teaching yoga and ways to show up for your students when it comes to teaching yoga. And you may be hearing me and thinking, but Taylor Swift's not a yoga teacher. That is true. However, everything she is doing on her era's tour, there are so many techniques that she uses. Uh, Some of them maybe even unknowingly, although Taylor Taylor Swift doesn't seem to do anything not on purpose. And I wanna just share with you some of these things. And if you haven't watched her videos on TikTok or Instagram, after you hear this little blurb from me, Go watch some of her videos and see what you think. So one of the things that really stands out to me when I watch Taylor Swift in concert, and we could even apply it to her just walking around when they photograph her, but let's talk about her in concert because think of her being in concert like you going and teaching your yoga class. When you watch Taylor Swift in concert, her body language communicates confidence and empowerment her body language is always such that she is facing the audience she is not turning around she is she does not have her hands on the ground she does not everything she does is to show herself to be seen and so i want you to think about are you allowing yourself to be seen in your yoga classes because absolutely if you are practicing with your class you're not letting them see you. So let's just put that right out there. So take a look at your own way of teaching. If you could videotape yourself, that would be great. I'm sure you know though how you are when you walk into the room. So just think about just on the physical plane, do you have the front of your body facing the students in the room? So let's just end it there in terms of this one topic or this one point. The next thing is, Taylor Swift allows herself to be big, to take up space. You know, I remember I worked for five years at Starbucks. I stopped right before the pandemic in December of 2019. I loved the job. I sort of didn't love the job, but I, in general, loved the job. I had great customers and it was a really fucking hard job. Um, And... One of the things we always used to say when we were working at Starbucks uh, in in the front of the house there, not in the back, was make yourself small. Because there, at any point in time, there were like six of us working behind the counter. And you had to make yourself small. Otherwise, you would be bumping into people. It's the same thing that flight attendants say to each other. Make yourself small because the galley is really tiny. Taylor Swift does the complete opposite. She makes herself Big. She takes her arms out wide. She stands in a power stance with her feet apart. She faces the audience. She allows herself to, as I said before, be seen. I watched a video of her the other day where she walked out on stage, 70,000 people in the in the uh, arena. And even though she was dwarfed in actual size, she allowed herself to take up space by, extending her arms out, taking a wide stance, and of course singing. And she filled up the space with her being. Are you doing that with your classes? Like you don't wanna do it to the point where it's a distraction, but think about along with allowing yourself to be seen, are you being big? Not to the point where you wanna be a distraction, but in a way that is empowering your students. The other thing, there are several compilation videos of just snippets of Taylor being Taylor and just her being goofy and, you know, just her laughing with the audience. She's always authentic. She's a- allowing her authenticity to shine through. Are you doing that when you teach? The other thing that Taylor does, which is amazing, is she laughs at her mistakes. Imagine this. <laughs> She wrote a song, and when she sang it with Aaron Dessner, she forgot the words. And she said before the song started, "I might forgot the forget the words because there's so many words in this episode in this." Um, song and I've been practicing it all week and she forgot the words not once not twice but three times she had to restart the song and she laughed it off and she showed her humanness and the crowd supported her and that was just one instance there were a handful of videos I saw over the course of the uh, first leg of the U.S. tour uh, which started in March I believe and ended in L.A. last week where she made a couple of flubs and there were also technical problems her mic went out and she just stood there and kind of played around with it and fixed it. Or one time somebody had to come out and give her a new mic. Nothing, nothing sent her into a tizzy. She always kept things light. She kept things in perspective and nothing to her was a crisis. And I want you to imagine in those moments where you're freaking out because you lose your place in the sequence or Someone's doing something weird in the class that's throwing you off beat and you're making it this huge mountain. Imagine you're Taylor Swift with 70,000 people and you don't let anything throw you because you appreciate that they really don't care. They're not going to care if you make a mistake. They're going to laugh it off with you. And if you lean into your human nature, everybody can relate to that. It's the relatability that deflates the drama. And so I just share that with you, especially if you're the type of yoga teacher who puts a lot of pressure on themselves to be perfect. So though, oh, and the other thing that Taylor does is she always speaks as, well, she has two ways of speaking. One is she'll speak as if she's talking to just one person. And the other is she'll say a lot of things to acknowledge the community of fans she has. So sometimes she'll say, I wrote this because I think of you when you're at home upset about how your day went. And I was thinking of that situation. And I I hope this helps you through that scenario. That's just an example. But or then she'll say, "Okay, does anybody here? know the words to this song, or I just really want to acknowledge you guys for waiting uh, a couple of hours during the rain delay and then coming back in or whatever. So she has this kind of way of acknowledging the crowd. And that speaks to that idea of building community. And she also has a way to make each person feel like they're the only ones there. And so there are different ways that you can do that in your classes to acknowledge that people are there as a group, to acknowledge the sense of community that is part of practicing together. And you can also do things in a way where you acknowledge the individual without calling somebody out as a way to build connection with each person. So I hope that um, you'll, even if you're not a Taylor Swift fan, just think of it as a case study. Think of it as um, a, a way to build your teaching skills because there is a lot there that we can learn from as yoga teachers uh, around from Taylor Swift. So that's that piece. Now, the next piece I wanted to talk to you about, and this is the last part of this episode, is a revelation that I had that I had actually thought of years ago, actually. But it really is becoming more and more clear to me. And I want to speak to it, not in a way to be controversial, more in a way to sort of reset expectations so that you don't end up blaming yourself for something that's not your fault. And you are able to as quickly as possible, move into the most confident, authentic way of being as a teacher. So I was listening to a podcast today that has nothing to do with yoga. And the person was speaking about different strategies in business. And he was talking about a couple of specific strategies that I'm aware of that have been developed by certain people. And he was saying, You know, before so and so built this strategy, things in business were sort of done this particular way. But when this person came out with this strategy, he built a community of people around the belief in this strategy, and people just took it as fact. And many, many people now operate according to this strategy. But when you really go back, In time, it just was this person saying, this is my idea. This is my method. Now, of course, if something doesn't have any validity or value, there won't be a groundswell of people to clamor around it and people won't follow it. So there has to be some quality there. And there also sort of has to be a reason for people to follow that path. So when I was listening to him speak, I started to think about the path of becoming a yoga teacher. And I was thinking about the 200-hour teacher training uh, process. And the reason I think about the 200-hour teacher training process a lot is because all week, every week for the past number of years, but especially the past two or three years, but especially the past two years, I, every week, talk to yoga teachers all over the world about the problems they're having as a teacher. And most of the teachers I speak to are within two years of graduating from their 200-hour teacher training. And almost every single one, and I might as well just say everyone, because they wouldn't get on the phone with me if everything was great. So let's just say it for what it is. Every teacher that I speak to doesn't have confidence, doesn't feel like they have a good approach to sharing cues, doesn't understand the key aspects of anatomy, and is spending hours building their sequences. On the mindset side, they often feel that they need to get a 300 hour or a 500 hour training under their belt so that they will feel confident. But many of them have taken those trainings and still don't feel confident, don't have skills around queuing and sequencing or understanding anatomy. And so the more and more time that goes on, I keep scratching my head and I'm thinking, what's not working in this 200 hour process that it's resulting in so many people that I'm talking to All sounding exactly the same, like they have the same problems. And when I was listening to this business podcast today, I had this light bulb moment that, oh my God, you know, along the way, a group of teachers got together and created the 200 hour teacher training process as the quote unquote standard. And because I've been teaching for a long time, I was teaching before before yoga Alliance had the 200 hour standard. And so I have a perspective of teaching before there was that criteria and then continuing to teach as that criteria was established. And then over the many, many years, 15 or so years, seeing how it's grown to be more and more the accepted standard. And so I'm listening to this business podcast and I thought, oh my God, this is really similar to what happened in the yoga industry that, a, and I don't know literally the genesis of it or the origin story for it, but I think, and I seem to remember back in 2000, 2001, when I was starting to do my teacher trainings and uh, before we had as an industry, these standards, At some point, I believe there was a group of yoga teachers who got together and formed Yoga Alliance as an organization. And I believe, don't quote me on this now, that part of that process of of these teachers getting together was the generation of these standards that came out of probably whatever Yoga Alliance 1.0 as an organization looked like. Now, again, I wasn't there. I'm not involved. I don't know. But I can absolutely tell you, because I have this perspective on the industry, that there wasn't, and then there was, but even when there was at the beginning, it was sort of like not super uh, widespread, but over the years, 2003, 2004, 2005, I started to write the first standards for the teacher I was working for at the time, Baron Baptiste, I was the the first person to write the first draft of our application as an organization to Yoga Alliance to be um, recognized as a 200 hour teacher training program and then on and on and on. So now it's just the standard. And so I thought to myself, okay, so that's not necessarily a good or bad thing. However, I think it gives us an opportunity to look at the results that teachers get from taking the 200-hour training and the feelings that they sometimes have or expectations that they sometimes have. And so I wanted to offer you a reframe. So here's the thing. Number one, this is not an episode where I'm critiquing um, the the 200-hour training or the organization. It's simply a revelation that I had, and I wanna offer it to you as a reframe so that you can be more empowered as a yoga teacher to do what you need to do so that you can be confident and skilled. So the, the reset is if your experience is similar to the experiences I have shared with you that I've heard from other teachers, Number one, it's, it's not your fault. I think there is something about the decentralized nature of this, of this training format that it's done in studios all over the world. And even though there is a shared agenda that the organization puts out, um, how it actually looks at the ground level can be really different one teacher can go to one studio and another teacher can go to another studio and they'll come out of the 200 hour training with very different experiences and results and outcomes and feelings as a teacher. Matter of fact, one of the questions I always ask teachers when they connect with me is when you were done with your 200 hour teacher training, did you feel prepared to start teaching? And 9 times out of 10, they say no. So again, that's not to say the training is good or bad. I am a firm believer that nothing is ever lost in the accumulation of knowledge and experience. So let's have that as the foundational premise here. And the next piece is, however, and this is where I offer you a reframe, maybe that process isn't maybe the expectation should not be when I take this 200 hour training, I will come out of it ready to teach. I will come out of it able to share cues confidently, able to build a sequence easily, understanding the key aspects of anatomy, right? So if we don't go into something with an expectation, we're going to get a certain outcome that can reshape how we participate in that experience. And also it can empower us so that when we're done, we can say, Oh, well, I got out of this ABCDE. And now in order for me to start teaching, I totally recognize that I should get additional training to help me do the things that I need to learn more about. So I can only share with you what I've already shared, which is I pretty much know the common thread and the common gaps that teachers have when they come out of a 200 hour training. I already had my program in place before I had this revelation. So it's not like I'm kind of backfilling my program to meet a need that I've just thought about, I already knew what the gaps were. And it's just been reinforced over the years as I've had conversations with teachers. And I know from talking to them, the gaps are learning how to cue effectively, knowing what to say in a way that you're not just tied to a script, easily building a sequence and appreciating that you don't have to change your sequence all the time and understanding the key pieces of anatomy and being able to share that in an easily to understand way with your students. And then all the mindset pieces that absolutely are not being covered in 200 hour teacher trainings, like a lot of the things I talked about at the beginning of this episode. And quite frankly, like a lot of the stuff I talked about regarding Taylor Swift, none of that really is covered and maybe it shouldn't be. So if we sort of reshape our expectation around, hey, I'm gonna get this amazing 200 hours of training. It's going to give me a lot of information, certainly a lot of information about the history of yoga and yoga philosophy. And I'll get anatomy as it's presented in this training. I'll get um, information on cueing and sequencing as it's presented in this training by whomever is presenting it. And then I'm gonna be done. And then I'm gonna ask myself the question, Do I feel ready to start teaching? And if the answer is no, then it's up to me to make a list of what are the skills that I don't have that I need to have so that I can begin teaching. And this is where too many teachers fall into a gap because they don't take that step And instead of just making it like an objective assessment, when they're done with the 200 hour, they beat themselves up that they didn't learn what they need to learn. They have this feeling of being not ready. And so what happens? They don't teach. And those are teachers I speak to, too, who haven't been teaching and they feel badly because they didn't get it in teacher training. One teacher told me she feels so badly because she put her family through this whole scheduling rigmarole so that she could go to training, the 200 hour training. And now she's done with that training. She doesn't feel ready and she feels all this guilt because she feels she put her family through this kind of process of rescheduling stuff and mom's not available. And this is what I mean about don't blame yourself. You know, this revelation I had today, part, part of it is what I want you to appreciate is, you know, this has been the standard for years and no one's really countered with an alternative. Certainly there've been questions around it and I'm not really here to start a debate around that. I simply want to take the pressure off you. And I wanna reframe if you're having any perspective that needs to be reframed and the reason The way you'll know if you do is if you feel guilty, if you feel badly, if you feel like I didn't get it and I should get it. What I'm saying to you is there's something baked into the way this 200 hour training is being administered all over the place that is not consistently producing teachers who feel ready to teach. And so if you're in that, if you're experiencing that, know that you're not alone and know that, okay, great. Fine. This is where I'm at. Here's what I am missing, and here's what I've got to do to fill in those gaps. So, before I wrap up this episode, I want to just, you know, say there the solution if you're in this situation is not to just sign up for another training. What I would recommend you do, and I'm happy to do this with you, is just have a conversation with a senior teacher and share where you are at and have that senior teacher brainstorm with you around what are your best next steps. Now, absolutely, I can do that with you, but I don't want you to feel that this conversation I'm having with you is to direct you to specifically sign up for my program. But I will tell you that if you are in this situation, the last thing I want you to do is to sign up for another hours-based training out of a perception that that's gonna solve the problems of learning how to cue, learning how to easily build sequences and understanding the key aspects of anatomy. You need to find a niche program that will do that and give you those results. And that is the program I have. You don't have to talk to me. You don't have to sign up for my program. But the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I don't want to see you spend time and money on programs expecting a result that you might not get. And that's my main intention. And the reason I have that intention is because my mission, and this ties to what I said earlier, having a mission, my mission is to get you out there teaching confidently, teaching as much as you want to teach confidently, because when you're teaching that way, you're sharing yoga in a powerful, clear Confident way. And that changes lives. I did a whole episode last week about all the clinical data supporting the impact of yoga. And there are just way too many benefits of yoga, well beyond what we've all been talking about for years. There's research coming out all the time about the clinical impact, the clinical efficacy of yoga on several different systems of the body. And so if you're at home, not teaching that's one less teacher that's impacting people. And I don't care if you never give me a dollar. My main goal is to get you out there teaching confidently. If you're already out there to support you in being the most confident teacher possible. And there are plenty of other programs out there besides mine. All I'm saying is do your homework and make sure you are in the driver's seat. You are crystal clear around the skills you need and the program you're enrolling in is going to get you those results. Because another example is, and I hear this one too, this is a scenario, I don't know how to cue, I'm spending hours building my sequences, I don't understand anatomy. And then I say, well, what training are you in right now? I'm taking a yin training. Well, that's not going to help. Right, that's a specialty training. Like we don't want to go down the specialty niche route until we have the fundamentals down, and that's why I say, from an industry standpoint, it's almost like there should be, in my opinion, another adjunct to the 200 hour training. That once the 200 hour is done and you have that foundation, then you get the skills based training with the mindset piece because. Skills without the mindset means no confidence. I can have great skills around queuing and sequencing and I can academically understand anatomy, but I may go in there and teach and be fucking terrified because I don't feel that I'm worth it or I don't feel that I'm qualified or I don't feel that I'm qualified because I don't have 500 hours after my name. Like all of that lives in the mindset. And so unless we're addressing the mindset piece, which is never addressed in these hours-based training specifically, certainly not as specifically as I address it, um, we're gonna have teachers out there who are like, why do I sign up for this? And so this is part of the revelation I had today. And that's why I wanted to jump on here. I, I wanted to record a podcast episode anyway, So it's synced up perfectly. So again, I hope this has been helpful for you. You know, this is just, you know, my main mission is to support you as a teacher, whether you work with me, whether, you know, whoever it is to support you as a teacher. I have a, this podcast is free. My YouTube is free. My Instagram is free. I have a ton of free content out there. I give out hundreds of videos, every week to teachers all over the world through email, hundreds of them. I do free workshops. So there's so much free content that I offer. So even if we never work together one-on-one, I can support you in a lot of ways that won't cost you a dime. But know this for sure. And this is the last thing I'll say. If you stay forever in my free content world, I can't speak for anybody else, you will not get results. You'll get some results, but it's such the tip of the iceberg because to get real results, you need to follow a process and free this, free that, this video, this day, that video, that day, that doesn't get you real results because you're not in a process. It's like you're cooking string beans then you're eating corn, then you're baking a cake. It's like all these different things. And so I encourage you as you're you know, if it is something that's intriguing you as you're watching my videos, stay in the free content world, learn about me, get a sense of my vibe, get a sense of my teaching style, you know, see if I am the kind of teacher that you would want to work with, want to learn from. That's why people have free content to develop a relationship. And if you see things that you like Get in touch with me. Let's get you on a phone call with me so that I can find out if you are a teacher, I can help. If this is something that you wanna do, just send me a DM and say phone call and we'll set it up. If you're outside the US, we can do it on Zoom. So I hope this has been helpful for you. I love sharing uh, directly with you via the podcast. I think it's a really powerful medium to, to use so that we can build connection And I appreciate if you're still listening, I really appreciate your time. And I hope that you have found this valuable. I hope you have a wonderful end to your August. And I look forward to connecting with you on Instagram, in the DMs. You can email me. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll catch you again on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and the fact that you're still here and still listening is not lost on me. So thank you so much. couple of things. If you have any questions, please contact me, send me what your questions are directly to my Instagram DM. You can find me there at Yoga. The next thing I hear so much from yoga teachers that they want to be confident. They want to feel more confident. They don't want to have that nervous feeling in their stomach when they get up to teach. They don't want to stumble over their words. They want to create sequences fast and not spend so much time writing out their sequences and practicing their sequences. And they so much want to just walk around the room rather than being tied to the mat and practicing the entire sequence with their class. If any of this hits home for you and you want to develop into a more confident, authentic teacher in the next 30 days, I want you to DM me confident teacher heard it on the podcast and I will show you exactly how you can get there. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next episode.